take your Bibles, please. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And I was kind of laughing when I was just thinking about Zavinsky when he was here this week. And I asked him, I said, you know, you ought to just one night in one of those meetings turn to a different chapter and preach another group of verses because you're going to think that you only know four verses. <laughs> well, I've been preaching out of the same three verses. This is the 17th lesson that we've done on, on Lessons of Faith in Hebrews 11. I do know more verses than that, okay? Just, I, I feel like we ought to turn to like the book of Ruth and just preach out of there or something, you know? But we're going to go to Hebrews this morning. Uh, I would ask you to put a marker in your Bible in two places, Acts chapter 7 and Exodus chapter 2, because we'll get to both of those passages, hopefully. Appreciate uh, Brother Mike giving me some extra time. And I heard he had an experience of taking his own time when he was to teach a lesson, and I thought that was kind of funny, but anyway, and uh, we'll see how we do on the notes. Um, Hebrews 11, we'll read verses 1 through 3. We've done it every week, but especially this week since it's been a while since we've been here. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Uh, also, we've been quoting uh, every week in these, in these lessons, Romans chapter 1, verse number 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know, really, that's what Sunday school is all about. That's why we do our personal Bible study, learning how to live from faith to faith. Literally, that means one moment of faith to the next. Uh, in the New Testament, a man came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. The way we would word it, Lord, I believe, I think. You ever been there? You want to believe, but you're not sure you can? And uh, that's kind of the way the Christian life is. None of us have it figured out. Uh, and it's just a walk of faith. And, and so we've been looking at that. We've been looking at all these different Bible characters. And uh, in our last study, we looked at lessons of faith from the life of Moses. This is part two of that. We saw in, uh, you're there in Hebrews 11, verses number, uh, beginning of verse number 25. Actually, we'll go to verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And I like it when the Bible outlines itself. Now these guys that have all these alliterated outlines and all the letters start with the same, you know, all the points start with the same letter and they rhyme. Yeah, I can't do that. I read a verse and I holler. That's what I do. Uh, and, but this one, I love it because God outlines it here in those four verses. His refusing, his choosing, his esteeming, and his forsaking. And we learned some things about Moses. Uh, we learned that we have to choose to live for God. Nobody becomes a good Christian by accident. By the way, you didn't get saved by accident either. It was a choice. And I, on purpose, made that distinction. There's a difference between being saved and being a Christian. You realize there were a lot of people saved before Acts eleven twenty six, but that's the first time that the disciples were called Christians. First at Antioch. A Christian means you're like Christ. I know a lot of people that are believers, but they're not like Christ. I mean, I could run a, a rabbit trail on that one. Christian radio, there's not much of that. Christian bookstores, not many of those. 
Why? Because they're not like Christ. And here Moses, he chose to live for God. Will never be a committed follower of Jesus Christ by accident. Nobody became a disciple of Jesus during his earthly ministry by accident. It was a choice. It was on purpose. But this morning we're going to look here at at the the lessons of faith from the life of Moses. Uh, And as we said in our last study, uh, Moses is one of the key Bible characters. You ever think about this? It was during his lifetime that God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and the children of Israel to take them from just a family to become a nation. God made that promise to Abraham, but it was fulfilled during the lifetime of Moses. When Joseph and his family ended up in Egypt, God began a process to turn that family, a group of tribes, into a large group of people. And after the death of Pharaoh, another Pharaoh rose that knew not Joseph. He had not been personally experienced with the hand of God and God's blessing in the life of, of, uh, of Joseph like his predecessor has. He, he had not dealt with Joseph on a daily basis. He did not see the hand of God the same way. This new Pharaoh feared the children of Israel because they began to grow in number. And he, he looked at them as a political threat, that they could overthrow him. And little did, they know, little did he know what was going to happen, amen? And uh, so he began to put them in bondage. They began to be slaves, making brick. But then soon everything changed. They had gone from a privileged section of society to public enemy number one. We see that all the time in, 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 through history, through the scriptures. God's people are often persecuted, and that's when God begins to work in a great way. In the, in the book of Acts, when persecution came, that's when the gospel was spread around the world. Uh, here in America, we've not really experienced a lot of persecution. Uh, there were some in the 1700s when our nation was founded. Uh, in fact, in Massachusetts in the 1700s, it was illegal to be a Baptist preacher. You'd go to jail for baptizing converts. I think we might be back to that before too long, the way things are going in our country. You know what? It might be the best thing ever happened to us. Why? Because that's when the gospel spreads. We're going to look here in the life of Moses and how these, all of those events brought the nation of Israel, who was at that time just a group of people, to a point of decision to follow God or, or stay in the world. These, because of all the circumstances that God orchestrated, he focused in one period of time, he raised up a leader, and God changed everything. I want you to look at verse number 24. This is the, will be the, the, the text for us this morning. We read it a little, a little while ago. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years... Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We, we read those verses that we just did and we jump right to the, you know, he, he refused, he chose, he esteemed, he forsook. But I think we missed something very, very important. Why did Moses became, become a man of faith? Why did he make those choices? And so look at it here again in verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, daughter this, this indicates belief and trust and confidence in God. We're going to look, first of all, at the origin of his faith. Where did Moses get his faith? Uh, how did Moses have faith in God to do what he did? What was the origin? How did he go from being raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter to becoming the deliverer of the children of Israel? 
Somewhere he had to learn the promises of God. Somewhere he had to be taught that God was going to visit the children of Israel. Remember the promise that Joseph uh, relayed to his children, that God will visit you. Uh, Somewhere Moses had been taught about the God of Israel. He did not learn that in school in Egypt. Where did he learn it? Well, I'm glad our Bible has the answer. Look at verse 23. We'll back up a verse. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months, notice this, of his parents. Because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Where did he get it? From his parents. Uh, Keep your place here in Hebrews. Go back to to Acts chapter number 7. Acts 7. And we'll look here at verse number 20. We'll be looking at several verses. We'll turn back and forth. But in Acts 7 and verse number 20, the Bible says, In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair, and notice this, and nourished up in his father's house three months. So for three months, he was at the house with his parents. Go back to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus 2 in your Bibles, please. I think we read this in one of the other weeks, but I think it's good to go back to get the context. Many times we read something in the New Testament, we fail to go back to the Old Testament and get the whole story. God will pick one piece out of the story to to talk about in the New Testament. Just remember, for every New Testament doctrine, there's an Old Testament illustration. And so that's what this is in Exodus chapter 2. Look at it there in verse number 1. And there, there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took, him for, uh, took for him an ark of bulrushes and dubbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And laid it in, she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister, that's Miriam, stood afar off to see, uh, to wit, what would be done to him. So you got, picture this, you got little baby Moses in the little ark of the bulrushes, sitting at the edge of the river, and sisters hiding in the bushes to see what's going to happen. And verse number five, and the daughter of Pharaoh came to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside, and when she saw the ark and the flags, she sent her maids to fetch it. When she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him. I think the Holy Spirit kind of pinched him right there, you know. You know how it is, any, any, any woman, she sees a little baby that starts to cry. What does the woman want to do? Pick that baby up and comfort it. What do we men do? Honey, your baby's crying. That's what we do. When our babies were little, I heard them wake up in the middle of the night. I heard them cry every time. And I would elbow Ron and say, honey, your baby's crying. And I'd roll over and go back to sleep. You guys did the same, but don't have the guts to say it publicly. That's why you're getting elbowed right now. All right? And so she, uh, she saw the ark. She t- sent her maids to fetch it. When she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. She knew who this was. She knew it was one of the, the babies that her father had commanded to be killed. Think about that. She's willing to break the law. 
God put that in her. Amen. Verse number seven, when uh, then said his sister, it's Miriam to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. That's just funny right there. And uh, Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, take this child away and nurse it for me and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. Isn't this hilarious? It's illegal to have this baby if you're Hebrew. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, pays his mother to raise him for God. That's just only God could orchestrate that. Verse 10, and the child grew and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son and she called his name Moses and she said, because I drew him out of the water. Moses' parents did not drown him when he was born because they, tr- they were trusting God for a deliverer, and they were trusting for deliverance for their boy. They prepared their boy to face the challenges of the Egyptian society. Moses' mother, Jochebed, taught Moses to love God and to love the God of Israel. Go back to Acts chapter number 7. You know, when we read and when, you know, in verse number uh, 24 uh, there in Hebrews that by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If you just read that line, you miss all this. Chapter 7 of Acts, look at verse number uh, 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Moses wasn't just the average guy in Egypt. He was, he was well-educated, but he was mighty in deeds. And let me just say a little bit about this. The reason he was is those were the spiritual gifts God had given him. Every one of you in this room have spiritual gifts God has given you. But there's a difference between having a spiritual gift and being spiritual. You know, there are many singers that made their career out in the world singing and the truth is, they, they, if you check their history, they started singing in church. Elvis did. God gifted him for work in the local church. What did he do? He took that spiritual gift and used it for himself. Doesn't mean he was spiritual. He was not. So here Moses, he had some ability God gave him. Then he had the privilege of being, uh, being educated. But he was educated in the wrong place. Moses taught him in the middle of all that to love God. Look again at Acts 7.22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in word and in deeds. He went to Egyptian public schools. I'm for Christian education. None of my kids ever stepped foot as a student in a public school. Amen? Amen? Uh, They've been in a public school sitting in a church service when we were doing it on the weekends, but... Uh, we just made a decision when our kids were born, they were never going to go to a public school. Part of the time they were Christian school, part of the time we homeschooled them, Rhonda homeschooled them. Just might as well be honest about it. I'm confessing all my sins. I'm going to confess yours next week. <clears throat> but Moses, he was a model of what an Egyptian should be. He was in the line to be Pharaoh, not directly in line, but if all the sons of Pharaoh were gone, then he would have been in line. Yet he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. He knew if I make this choice, it's going to cost me. How much has your Christianity cost you in the last month? 
He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches. He said, I'd rather have the reproach that comes with following Christ than having all of the pageantry that comes with being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Where did he learn that? From his parents. Now, we don't know exactly how old Moses was by the time he was weaned and, and sent back to Pharaoh's daughter's house. We don't know. Most people think he's probably three years old at the most. But I want you to think about this. His mother had instilled enough of the truth of God in that little boy's heart that it allowed him to survive the indoctrination of Egypt. My guess is Moses didn't spend his day watching cartoons as a little boy. He had a mother who was teaching him. Uh, the thought with this, you know, where did he get his, where was the origin of his faith? He got it from his parents. Let me just make this statement to you. You ought to dare to raise your children for God. <coughs> Dr. David Gibbs said this, that it is the job of every Christian parent to raise soldiers of, for Jesus Christ. That's what your children are. You ought to come out of your house ready to go to battle for God. You ought to be a Christian soldier by the time they leave your house. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, we won't turn to these, I'll just read a few for you. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That literally means to bend them toward God. You've heard my testimony much, and for sake of time, won't go through all that, but I thank God for Christian parents, godly parents, who taught me to read my Bible, taught me to pray, brought me to church. I remember we visited my wife's uh, church she went to when she was a little girl in Durango, Colorado. I never, I never forget, we were down in the basement going to some Sunday school class. And we were coming back out into the auditorium and coming up those stairs, there was a, a sign above the, the, the walkway there that said this, don't send your kids to Sunday school, bring them. You know why I love church? My dad loves church. He's 85, he can't drive at night, his eyesight's gotten where he can't drive at night, and he gets frustrated if he can't get to church on Sunday night. He has somebody that picks him up, and then during the summer he can drive, because it's, it's still light when he gets out of church, unless I'm preaching, then, then but anyway. <laughs> I was telling the evangelist this week, he was, I could tell who he was influenced by. He reminded me of evangelist Glenn Schunk. Anybody ever heard Glenn Schunk? What an amazing evangelist, died in the uh, late 70s. Um, got saved during World War II and, and uh, just an incredible, incredible preacher. And, and when I heard him, I, I mentioned to Brother Svinsky on, on, on Tuesday night, I said, you remind me of one of my heroes. He said, who's that? I said, Glenn Schunk. He said, that's the guy that trained my dad. I said, it's obvious. They preach exactly the same. That whole 24, 25 minutes and quoting all kinds of scripture, never looking at any notes. I said, that greatly, well, the 24 minutes didn't influence me at all, but <laughs> the using verses did. But we don't realize what those kids are getting when they're sitting there. In, in 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul writing to Timothy says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and am persuaded in thee also. Timothy got saved because he had a mother and a grandmother who knew the word of God and taught it to him as a child. 
Don't discount what those kids are learning. Uh, he said later on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He said, you, you continue in those things you've been taught, knowing of whom you have learned them. I learned more Bible from my dad than I did any Bible college teacher. That's the way it ought to be. There ought to be memories of your children with you sitting with them with an open Bible, talking Bible. Amen. Acts 7, let's look at it again. Acts 7, we read verse number 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word, in words and in deed. Look at verse 23. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. It came into his heart. When did that happen? It didn't happen when he was sitting in a church service. There was no revival meeting going on when God put a burden in his heart to do something about his brethren being in bondage. He wasn't going to the tabernacle to hear the preaching every Sabbath day. There was yet no tabernacle. He wasn't around a prophet of God. Think about that. How did this happen? God happened. It's God that put it in his heart. Uh, and by the way, just because your grown child's not in church today, just because your child's not around the people of God that doesn't mean God's not working in their heart. Moses' parents were nowhere near him when he was 40. We don't even know if they were still alive. But God had used them to put so much into that little boy's life that at 40 years of age, he said, I'm making a choice. I'm standing with the God my parents taught me about rather than the Egyptians where I've lived for 40 years. I believe Moses' parents were probably still praying for him. If they had already gone to heaven, then others were. I believe the people of God were still believing in God's promises to send a deliverer. I believe that they were still praying for God to visit them, as was promised through Joseph. So God in His wisdom and His sovereignty was preparing a man to do what He had promised to do for the children of Israel. So what are you saying? If you've got children that are away from God, don't give up hope. Don't stop praying. Keep begging God. Because if God could reach down into the middle of Pharaoh's own household and grab a young man who was trained just as a little boy about the things of God and for probably 37 years not around another person of God and have God touch his heart, he can touch your child's heart too. You know, the story is told of, of um, the writer of, of Amazing Grace. Um, his, na uh, um, his name just escaped me. Um, Newton. There's too many people talking. Thank you, John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader. He was a captain of a slave ship, as was his father. But as a little boy, his mother had taken him to church and had taught him things out of the Scriptures. One day when he was a slave captain, he was on this ship that was in the middle of a horrible storm and, and they thought they were all going to drown. And of course, when you get in those positions, you start thinking about eternity. Amen. And he began to remember 
what his mother had taught him. And it gripped him. And he got saved on that ship. God transformed his life, became a great preacher of the gospel. You know, when I was, I lived in Jacksonville, Florida for many years. And for about five years, I preached at the Jacksonville Rescue Mission four or five times a month. It was run by the Trinity Baptist Church. And, and we, I would go down there and preach. And I would always do something every time we went. Just before the preaching, I would lead the song. Now remember, this is a room full of drunks and drug addicts and, and a pretty rough crowd. And there'd be probably 70 of them there every night. And they had to sit through the service because they didn't get their supper until they sat through the service. We fed them afterwards. So I don't know if you ought to do that. Well, it sure works. Amen. <laughs> But the last thing I would do after we had our song service, just before the preaching, even if we had had a special, I would lead the crowd in the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me, and then I would sing Jesus Loves Me, this I know. You'd watch those hardened drunks begin to weep because they begin to remember when they were a little kid in Sunday school. We'd see those guys get saved, and we'd ask them, say, you know, what, what, what caused you to start thinking about God? I said, man, when you guys sang that song, Jesus Loved Me, my mind went back to when I was a boy and going to church with my mom. You don't know what God can do in the heart of that child. Just keep praying, keep working. You see, Moses' parents, they were done with all they were going to do with Moses. But God was not finished using what they had done. The origin of his faith. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11, if you will. Hebrews 11 and verse number 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We see the origin of his faith was his parents. They had instilled with him enough that God could work with. But second of all, the timing of his faith. You know, when we read Hebrews 11, and we see that God mentions Moses, he's one of the guys we'd say, well, duh. You know, some of them that are listed, like I mentioned, Sarah, I don't know that I listed her. Samson, I would not have put him on the list. You know, David's not on that list, by the way. Did you ever notice that? He's not. When God mentions Moses, well, yeah, I mean, he, he stood against Pharaoh. I mean, he was nose to nose with the king. And, you know, he, he had the rod of God in his hand. And, and he had, he, he, you know, he threw the rod down and it became a serpent. He picked it back up and became a rod again. And, you know, the plagues and... You know, Red Sea, of course he was a man of faith. That's not what God highlights. That's not what God mentions. Um, the timing of Moses' faith as mentioned by God in Hebrews 11 was not when he was 80. It was when he was 40. Before he spent the 40 years on the backside of the desert. Uh, go back to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And verse number 11. Exodus 2 and verse number 11. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens and he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew one of his brethren. And we know what happened. He ends up killing the Egyptian. But it says when he was grown. This is when he was 40, not 80. At 40 years of age, 
having a position in life, being respected, a, a, a military man, a man of education, a man that lived in Pharaoh's own household, he saw the Hebrews being mistreated, and he said, I must do something about that. Acts 7, verse 22 says, And Moses was learned in all the ways of the Egyptians. He was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his, children, his brother, the children of Israel. It was when he was 40. He, he had matured. He had learned everything Egypt had to offer him. He was a mighty man. What does he do at the age of 40? He tries to deliver Egypt, deliver the children of Israel from Egypt by himself. Look there again, you're still in Exodus, uh, in verse number 12, and he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to them that did the wrong, uh, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Well, I can answer that. His name's God, but they didn't know that yet, amen? Uh, and, and intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh had heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. He tried to deliver Israel by himself. He was doing it because it was his desire. He had a burden, but he was not yet called. He wanted it done. God had put it in his heart, but it wasn't time yet. So what did he do? He did it the best way he knew how, and it didn't work. Amen? He, it was found out. He, uh, you know, he killed the Egyptian. Then the next day, he tries to be, you know, show the, the, the Israelites what to do, and they rejected him. Does that remind you of anybody? When Jesus came and they rejected him. Now think about that. He, he kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. What does God think about that? God called that faith. Just think about that. He called the event surrounding Moses' action to lead Israel at 40 and being rejected by the children of Israel. He said, that Moses is faith. That's what he highlighted in Hebrews 11. You and I would say Moses failed. God said Moses had faith. Let me give you this thought. Just because you've attempted to do something for God and it did not work out the way you thought it would does not mean you failed. Often it's not due to a lack of faith. It's just not God's time yet. God was going to deliver Israel by Moses. He was the deliverer. He was going to use this unique man, Moses, and all of the ingredients in his life and how he was trained and everything about his life went into him being the deliverer, the greatest lawgiver other than Jesus Christ ever. Moses thought at 40, I'm ready. God said, no, you're not i got to take you and make you a shepherd for 40 years. Because you've learned how the Egyptians do things. Now let me show you how I do things. You're going to be a shepherd to these people. You're going to have to learn to care for their needs. As an Egyptian, he didn't have to worry about feeding people. He did not worry about how to, to, to gather a group of people who'd never been unified before and unify them. He, he had to teach them where to go and when to rest. Where did he learn that? Being a shepherd, 
backside of a mountain, backside of the desert. You see, God has a plan, but he also has a schedule. Those of you who know me well will, will recognize this statement. I have found one of the hardest things for me to admit and to recognize in my Christian life is I'm in a hurry and God's not. Anybody else like that? You can raise your head, man. Look at back, you're there still in Exodus. Look at verse number 23. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And he looked upon the children of Israel. And God had respect unto them. Moses was going to be the deliverer. That's what every part of his life was about. That's why he was hidden in the ark uh, among the bulrushes. That's why Pharaoh's daughter found him. That's why Pharaoh's daughter paid Jochebed to raise Moses for God. Uh, that's why all of those events happened. That's why he was trained. That's why he had skill. Uh, do you ever think about maybe that job you have and those skills you're learning at work are not for work, but to teach you how to do the work of God down at the local church? A dear friend by the name of Jeff Wade. Uh, Brother Wade was the assistant pastor. At, he was the associate pastor at Lighthouse Baptist Church in San Diego where I was on staff for many years. And Brother Wade, before he, he came on staff there, was a lieutenant commander in the Navy. During the first Gulf War, you know what his job was? He sat on an aircraft carrier directing airstrikes into Baghdad. That prepares you for ministry. You know, I remember sitting talking with him. I was like, how does that prepare you for ministry? He said, I know how to take out the enemy. You got stuff needs to take care of. I know how to do it. Like, yes, we'll start a new ministry. The fundamentalist assault team, you know, come, come under cover of darkness. Take care of stuff that needs to happen. He said, brother, I guess that's what I'm talking about. Like, oh, man, it sounded like fun. We say, I learned how to coordinate people. We'd have a big day, and he'd orchestrate it. He would organize it down to the minute, where every vehicle had to be, where every classroom, what it had to do. Where did he learn how to do that? In the Navy. The United States government paid millions to teach him all that. You ever wonder that maybe the job you have that you hate and the details that you despise every day might be the very thing that is your gift that God's going to use for his glory? That's what happened in the life of Moses. He was trained in all their ways. Now God said in, when he was on the backside of the desert, now let me show you how that will work in the plan of God. Moses was going to be a prince and a judge over them. He was going to lead them. But it was going to be in God's timing, not his. We've got another point in the outline. I'm going to save that for next week because I don't want to rush through it. I want to take our time. Take some time today just to think about where did your faith begin in your family? If you had a godly parent, you ought to thank God for them today. If you are a parent, make sure you're one of those godly parents instilling things into your children. If you've got kids that maybe are not where you want them to be spiritually, just keep begging God for them because God's not done. He's still working. I would imagine for many years, Moses' parents thought, well, we lost our boy. No, they didn't. God was grooming him 
to be the greatest human leader in your Bible. Take a group of, of, of slaves and turn them into a nation that would go forward for God and conquer the, the, the promised land. But in addition to having that foundation of faith, there had to be a timing of his faith. The hardest thing we do as believers is wait on God. We think we have it all figured out. Moses at 40 thought, I got this all figured out. I know how to do this. I know how to lead people. I'm going to just lead the children of Israel because I'm, a, I, I'm an Egyptian of great stature. They're going to find out I'm a Hebrew. They'll just want to follow me. And they said, no thanks. You ever been there? Where you thought you had it all figured out. You set out on your plan. And that just didn't work. Next week we'll talk a little bit more about that and the ramifications of that timing of what God did. Just realize God's not done. If you're still drawing a breath, God's not done with you. He's not done with your family. He's not done with his plan in your life. We'll be, work, we'll be serving him when we get to heaven. And all the things we do there are dependent on how we serve him now. Just keep following him, making those decisions to follow God rather than the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Moses. Thank you for these lessons of leadership from his life and how we as believers need to learn to just trust you for what you're doing in our life and for the timing of every decision and opportunity. May we learn like Moses to just trust you. Thank you for some parents who instilled in the life of a little boy enough of their faith that at 40 he stood for his faith. Make us believers that stand. Pray you'll bless in the service that will follow now in Jesus' name. Amen.